Let there be light. How's everybody doing this morning? Excited for this opportunity to, uh, to talk with everyone today, to share with our campus. Uh, I love our campus. I tell you what, I love our pastor. Uh, I love Pastor Rob and Becca. I, I greet you for them. Uh, they are out of town this week. They're uh, spending some time with some missionary partners that we partner with in the Middle East. And uh, so they've got an amazing week of, uh, of meetings and ministry. And then they're also taking some family time while they're out there. So pray for them this week as they're strategizing and working with our, our missions partners over in the Middle East. I love, uh, I got to say, I love that our church has, has a vision to, to reach out and to make a difference and to do things here in our local community. I love that we have opportunities, like Portia was just talking about, to get involved and to serve here in our local communities. And I also love that our church has uh, just a huge vision to reach out beyond uh, just our communities but also to reach out and to have an impact literally all over the world. And I'm so glad for the opportunities that we have to do that. I hope that you take advantage of them because I don't know if you realize this or not. Uh, Maybe no one's ever told you this, but you make a difference. You. Every single one of us makes a difference. When, when we choose to, uh, to get involved, when we choose to, to step in and put ourselves to work, um, you make an incredible difference. Maybe you teach in a, uh, in a class, in a kid's class on, on the weekends, or uh, maybe you serve on Wednesday nights. There's a little plug for Wednesday nights. Not only for our students, but for our kids, for our kids' ministry. We're always looking for help also to help lead and teach our kids on Wednesday nights in the, in the programs that we have going on. Uh, when you do that, when you, uh, when you take a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon like we're all going to do this Saturday, come on, all of us. Uh, you know, when you, when you do that to help feed kids in other countries, when you, uh, when you give in an offering, when you pray for your pastors, come on, when you pray for your pastors, you make a difference. You see, you are the church. You are the church. The building's not the church. We're just the building that the church comes to. You are the church, and you matter, and I'm so glad that together we can serve in this community. I love serving alongside of you today. I want to take a few minutes to talk about something that God has been working in my life, and I believe it's something that each one of us can relate to as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, if you think through some of the things we've been talking about this year, uh, since the beginning of the year with our Perfect Work series, where we just invited God to do his work in us and bring us to maturity and to complete his work in us so that we'd be lacking nothing, thinking through our, our giving series, where we, we learned that it's so important to live a generous life. And, and, and now coming to this week, I think that, that what we're going to talk about this week is really going to set us up for the series we're going to launch into in a couple weeks. And, and it's a series called Follow the Prompt. Follow the prompt. I wanted to call it follow the bouncing ball, but follow the prompt. And we're going to talk about uh, how to hear God's leading, how to hear God's voice, how to know and, and respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we're, I'm really excited about, uh, about that and how it's going to help us grow and mature in God. But how many of you know that you and I live in a world where things are broken? And, and I think I know what you're thinking here because we're in church and you think that, you know, I'm talking about how this world is spiritually broken. And it is, but, um, but just bear with me a second because I'm not really being super spiritual right now. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes we live in a world where things break. Things break. Our cars break down. Anybody with a broken down car this winter? Things break. Our appliances break down. Uh, maybe the copy machine at work breaks down and you just want to kick it. Uh, 
Maybe you're out shoveling and your back breaks down. Anybody do that this winter? Things break. And so when something breaks, what do we do? We usually do one of three things when something breaks. Either we fix it, or we replace it, or we just get rid of it, right? It's usually what we do when something breaks. We either, we either fix it, we replace it, or we just get rid of it. Jamie and I have experienced this recently at our house. Nothing, uh, nothing huge or anything, but um, when we first got married, after suffering for a few years with a, a vacuum cleaner that we uh, affectionately referred to as the crumb pusher, uh, after a few years, we decided, hey, we're going to buy a vacuum cleaner. So it's been years now. It's probably been, I don't know, 12 years since we bought this vacuum cleaner. And over the years, uh, different parts of this vacuum cleaner have broken. And there's this little, you know, this little clip that holds on the attachments, and that broke, and so things are kind of hanging off. And then the, the clip that held the hose broke, and then the hose itself broke. And so it's all like duct taped together now and, and, and holding together. And then recently the, the motor that runs the brush on our vacuum cleaner started doing this weird thing, making this weird sound, and it's just not working right. So we decided, hey, let's, uh, uh, let's buy a new vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I'm so excited. And so, you know, as a guy... I said, okay, you know something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research because, you know, if we're going to buy a vacuum cleaner, we're going to buy a good vacuum cleaner. And I don't know, you know, ladies, you might go to the store and say, I like the purple one, you know, and just do that. But, guys, we want to you know, do some research. We want to we find out which one is, is the right one, which one is the best. And so what I did is I hopped on to a website called Consumer Reports. Anybody use Consumer Reports? Yeah, Consumer Reports is this great organization that tests products, and, and it's an independent group, and they report on how they performed and what features they have and all that kind of stuff. And then they rate the products from, from the highest quality down to the lowest quality. And so at the top of the list, they, they have ratings. They have the excellent rating or the best rating, and then all the way down to the low-end stuff where, where they get a poor rating. But most of the things they, they rate are somewhere in the realm of good, better, and best. Okay, good, better, and best. And along with the ratings, they also show uh, what the typical cost is for the different items. What do they sell for? And so guess which things tend to cost the most? The, the, the best things usually cost the most. Thus the phrase, you get what you pay for, right? So you've got the highest rated things that cost the most, and you've usually got the lowest rated things, and sometimes they're the cheapest, and there are always exceptions, and you may find a Consumer Reports Best Buy, which is a high rating with a low price, and then you feel like, man, you really won the lottery there. It's, it's, it's just great. But generally, the best products cost the most. And so hang with me for a second, because I know you didn't come this morning just to uh, hear a lesson on shopping for vacuum cleaners. But Jamie and I, we want to be good buyers. We, we want to be wise with our decisions that we make. And we want to get the most for our hard-earned dollars. And I think most of us here would say that we, we want to do that. But we also have limits on what we can spend, right? When we live within a budget. And so we, we can't always spend the most for the highest quality. So when I look at Consumer Reports, what I do is I'll see the highest rated products. And then I'll look at the price tag. And then I'll kind of make my way down the list until I find the best product in the price range that I want to pay for it. That makes sense, right? I mean, we tend to be people that try to balance price with performance. We want to balance cost with quality, but, but not maybe spending the most, but not settling for the lowest quality either. And that usually leaves us somewhere in the middle, which works out great for when you're buying a vacuum cleaner. It works out really good. But the question that I want to ask and I want to think about today is this. 
do you and I sometimes settle for less than God's best in our own lives because we think it might cost too much? Are you and I pursuing God's highest and his best for our lives, no matter what the cost? Or have you and I found a place in our spiritual journey where we've stopped growing? Where we've, we've stopped pursuing the best that God has for us. Where we've stopped challenging ourselves because we feel like the cost has gotten to be too much. You see, I think that, that sometimes we find ourselves at a place where it's like we say to God, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do this much, okay? I'm willing, I'm willing to, to, to pay this cost. I'm, I'm willing to follow you this far, but, but don't ask me to go any further because I just don't know if I'm willing to pay that kind of price. Is that how we should conduct our spiritual lives? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. No. No, that's not how we should live our lives. But sometimes we do, don't we? We settle for less than God's best because we think it's going to cost too much. And here's the truth today. It might. It, it might cost us something. I mean, it might cost us a lot. Because listen, there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. In this life, there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. It's going to cost us something to follow him with our whole heart, with our mind, with our strength. But I want to give us a little bit of perspective today. And I want to take a look at what does it cost to follow Jesus? And is it worth it? I want us to look at our own lives and ask ourselves the question, have I settled for less than what I was created for? Am I unwilling to take the next step of faith because I'm afraid of what it might cost me? Think of it this way. Is the life I'm living rated good? Am I just living at good? Because what I want us to understand today is good is not good enough. Okay? Or am I, am I living, uh, maybe have I settled for a life that's better? Because, man, that means that maybe you've taken some steps in the right direction. But listen, there's more out there for us than better. There's more. Or am I truly living in God's best for my life? Am I fully surrendered to him? Am I willing to pay the price to reach the goal of everything that God has for me instead of settling for anything less? You know, Jesus talked about this in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, in chapter 14. He was walking with a group of his followers, and there were his, his 12 disciples that were with him, and then there was another large group, and as Jesus walked along, they were following behind him, and he turned around and he says something that, that really is just incredible. And we're going to read it in Luke chapter 14, in verse 25, it says this, A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying here? 
I mean, obviously, he's saying that if we're going to be true followers of Christ, we had better be willing to surrender and to submit every part of our lives to his lordship. That's all. That's it. It's incredible. And so I want to look at just a couple of things that, 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 that jump out at me when, when I read this passage. And the first thing that, that jumps out at me is this, and I think this is amazing. Um, we have a choice. We have a choice, right? The, the first thing Jesus says is, if you want to be my disciple. Not, you have to be my disciple. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Jesus says, you have to make the choice. We get to choose if we want to be a disciple or not. Listen, God isn't a dictator. God isn't uh, up there uh, making us do what he wants us to do. Listen, we have the choice. He offers us the choice to follow him or not. And Jesus wants us to follow him because we want to, not because we have to. It's not like some kind of arranged marriage uh, where you have to serve Jesus because you don't have a choice. No, we get to choose to follow Jesus because we love him. Because we see and we recognize his goodness and his kindness. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the grace that he gives. We see that there is a reward for following him and that there's value in living the way that he modeled for us. That the way of Jesus is the best life possible. It's the life that we were meant to live. But we have a choice. Don't ever forget, we have a choice. And if we choose to live apart from Jesus, if we choose to live away from him, we're choosing to live in what I call just settling for trying to live good. Just trying to live good. Remember our rating system? Good, better, best. If we choose to live apart from Jesus, it's settling really for living for ourselves. Living apart from Jesus, it's, it, it's saying, okay, I can do it on my own. Uh, I'm good enough. I don't need that God stuff. Listen, choosing to not follow Jesus is, in essence, choosing to trust that we are good enough without Jesus. And i got to tell you, there are a lot of people in the world that we live in that do just that. There's a lot of people. They say, I don't need that, I'm good enough. I think some do it because they, they don't know or understand what Jesus offers. Others do it. Because maybe they've, been, maybe they've been hurt by someone who claimed to be a follower of Christ and treated him wrong. I think others are just blinded to God's love for them. They don't believe. They're blinded. But no matter what the reason, they've chosen to put their faith in something other than God. You see, each one of us have a measure of faith. God says in his word that each one of us has been given a measure of faith. It doesn't mean that we've just been given a measure of faith in God. We've been given a measure of faith, and we are going to put that faith in something. Some people will put their faith in themselves. We call that humanism. It's thinking that, that we are the center of, of the world, that everything, in a sense, revolves around us. Other people put their faith in pursuing knowledge. Uh, they think that in gaining all the knowledge that they can, they're going to find some meaning to life. We call that agnosticism. Other people put their faith in believing that there is no God. We call that atheism. Believing that there is no God. 
But no matter what, everyone puts their faith in something. And when our faith is placed in anything other than God, we are essentially saying, I am good enough on my own. And you know something? There, let's be real. There are aspects to all of these isms. There's aspects to them that to the natural mind may make sense. They may make sense. But ultimately, none of them deal with the problem of sin because sin is a spiritual problem. And where some may bring answers in the natural, the only way to deal with a spiritual problem is dealing with it God's way. You see, we approach spiritual problems. We are created in his image, body, soul, spirit. We are created in the image of God. And and we may find answers for the physical bodies, but listen, we'll never bring answers to the questions of the soul and the spirit because it's only God that can deal with those areas in our lives. We have to deal with it through him, not on our own. See, I think all of these belief systems can be summed up by a verse in Proverbs. And Proverbs 14 verse 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death. You see, all the humanist and atheist philosophies that are in the world today will, in the end, lead to a dead end. It's going to lead to a dead end. The Bible says that our good will never be good enough. You see, every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. Every one of us. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one's going to come to God except through me. No one's going to find real life in God unless he takes that step of faith. Unless he recognizes that we're not good enough on our own. And that we must accept what Jesus did on the cross to restore us, to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with our creator. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen, don't try to settle for good. Because your good will never be good enough. That's why Jesus invites us to follow him. Jesus invites us to welcome him into our lives, to follow him. And that's why he came. That's why he modeled for you and me the right way to live our lives. That's why he died on the cross, sacrificing his own life to open the door for us back to God. And listen, when we make the decision to accept this gift of grace, when we make the decision to accept the invitation that he offers, you and I cross from just settling for good to upgrading to better. Sounds good, right? Hey, we're not, we're not staying here at good. We're upgrading, man. We're going, we're going to better. And do you know what I, I believe the heart of God is for us today? The heart of God for you and I in this place today is that every single one of us, that every single one would come to a place where we make this decision. How do I know that? Because 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That means all of us. Everyone. Everywhere. 
The heart of God is for you and I to accept this gift of grace, to realize that there's this incredible opportunity for each one of us to live free from the penalty of sin, to walk in the freedom of forgiveness, to walk in, in wholeness, accepting this gift of salvation. And do you want to know what he asks in return? I don't know what Jesus says in return. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And maybe you remember the story in John chapter 8 of the woman that was caught in sin and she was dragged in front of Jesus. And, and, and they said, what should we do? You know, the law says that she should die. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to condemn her. And Jesus forgave. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. That was what he said. You're forgiven. You're free. Now go, go and sin no more. Recognize that you have been forgiven. Recognize that you've had a a change in status, that you're no longer guilty, that you're no longer condemned. You're free to go. You're free to make the most of your life. It's just like a, a criminal that's received a full pardon. The debt's been paid. You're you're free now. Go live in that freedom. And that's all Jesus asks of us when we come to Him in repentance. He says, Turn away from the life that puts you in bondage. Turn away from the things that were destructive and that caused brokenness in your life. Leave the habits and the patterns that brought hurt and learn to live in the freedom that you possess. I mean, it's incredible. Now, I, I have to admit, there's a part of me that really doesn't understand why anyone would say no to this offer. I just, there's a part of me that doesn't understand I mean, I think a person would have to be crazy to refuse the offer of someone paying off a debt that you owed that you could never, ever repay. And the only thing that they asked of you in return was don't go back into debt. I mean, think about it. I mean, that's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? But there's another part of me that recognizes some people, they're just not willing to let go of the familiarity of their lifestyle of sin. They're, they're used to living it. It's normal. It's familiar. And to some, the cost of letting go of what's familiar is just too much. It's more than they're willing to pay. And that saddens me. It saddens me that someone would rather hold on to something that's destructive and familiar instead of taking that step of faith, letting go of the sin, launching into a new way of living, trusting that God will do what he says he will do. We can live free. You can live free. You don't have to live in bondage to those things that held you in bondage before. You can live free. When we make that choice, when we make the decision to upgrade from good to better, then I believe that you and I, we step from trusting ourselves to trusting Jesus. And what we find when we trust Jesus is that it opens up a whole new trajectory for our lives. I call this moving from better to best. Not settling for better, but moving to the best. And I believe with all my heart that this should be the goal of everyone who follows Jesus. Listen, why settle for good or better when Jesus is calling us to live the best life possible? 
To make the most of every moment of this life that we have to live. To be fully alive. To be fully engaged in doing something that will last for all of eternity. I I believe that this is what Jesus was talking about in the scripture that we read in Luke chapter 14. Because just like there's a higher price to pay if we want to purchase the highest quality... Listen, there's a price to pay for each one of us to live the highest level of living for Jesus. Because listen, if we're going to live this way, it will cost us something. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to cost us something. Again from Luke chapter 14, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, how many of you, when I, you read that word hate, go, oh, did he really say that? I mean, he said hate. I mean, does that mean that, that, that when I follow Jesus, I have to, it's like, I love Jesus, now I hate you. <laughs> you know, I belong to Jesus, I don't like you anymore. Does that mean that, I hear some of, the, some of you are like, I don't have to love my brother anymore. <laughs> I can hate him. No, 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 that's not what it means. Listen, the word that's translated hate, that word in verse 26, it literally means to love less. To love less. It doesn't mean that you, that you have to hate all these people. We know that because there are places in the Bible where Jesus specifically instructs us on how we're to treat our mother and father, right? Honor your mother and father. It's one of the big ten. Honor your mother and father. The Bible's clear about how we treat those in authority. The Bible's very clear, husbands, that you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. The Bible's clear about how we are to treat one another in our relationships. So if anyone ever tries to use this scripture to to shirk their responsibilities, they are dead wrong. But here's what it does mean. It means that if we are going to move into higher levels of living in Jesus, that you and I must bring every other thing in our life. Every relationship, that we must bring every other attachment, every possession, and we say, Jesus, I love you more. We say, Jesus, I want you more than any other thing in my life. And listen, I believe with all my heart, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we're not going to treat those other relationships with contempt. We're going to treat them better than we did before. Because it's going to be under submission to how Jesus taught us to live and to treat one another. We submit everything. We submit even our own lives. We submit our desires, our plans, our interests, everything to him. And we say, Lord, use everything that I am, everything that I have, every part of me in whatever way you choose to bring you glory. That's how we live our lives. Mark Batterson put it this way. He says, surrendering to the lordship of Christ is a radical act of dethroning yourself and enthroning Christ as king. Nothing belongs to you, not even you. I mean, get that picture in your head. You're seated on that big, ornate throne right there in your heart. And you say, I shouldn't be here. And you step down and you invite Christ into that place of authority. And then you bow before him. 
And you say, all right, you are on the... That right there is the real Game of Thrones, okay? Right there. We put Christ on the throne. Mark Batterson also said, and this is great news, he said, listen, if you don't hold out on God, God won't hold out on you. I love that. It's so true. You know why? 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us this. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Man, when we go all out for God, God will go all out for us. God will use us in ways that we've never imagined. God will open doors for us that we could have never opened on our own. When you surrender everything in your life to Jesus, uh, can it be a little scary? You bet. You bet. It will be. You know why? Because when you surrender to Christ, you give him control. Ooh. We don't like that. We like to be in control, right? We do. But when you surrender to him, you put him in control. You say, Lord, with your help, I'm going to do everything you want me to do. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to say what you want me to say to whoever you want me to say it to. I'm going to be willing to be misunderstood. I'm going to be willing to to maybe be even mistreated. But in the midst of it all, I am going to trust you. I am going to follow you. And I'm going to love you with all of my heart. And when you surrender to Jesus, you say, Lord, I am yours. Do with me whatever you need to do. Now I can hear what some of you are thinking right now. Because whenever someone starts talking about fully surrendering to Jesus, we start thinking one of two things, right? We start thinking, I thought we already took the offering. (laughs) Or we start thinking, Oh, Lord, please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> well, we already, we already received the offering, so don't worry. We're not going to take another offering. And, you know, I can't tell you that God is not going to call someone here to do something like go to the mission field. If he did, I would be thrilled to see that somebody from here is called to build the kingdom of God somewhere around this world. But can I be real practical for a moment? We like practical, right? What will it look like to be fully surrendered to Jesus? I mean, what does Jesus really want from you and me? And, you know, maybe you have this thought that, that if I fully surrender to God, he's, he's going to tell me that I have to, you know, become a, a preacher or a teacher. And, and, you know something, if God has gifted you with that, maybe, maybe, praise God if he does. Or maybe you think that if I fully surrender to God, um, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to have... I'm going to have to pray for every sick person I see. And I'm going to have to believe that God's going to heal them. Maybe. We believe God heals. We do. I've seen him heal. Maybe you think that God is going to send me to to the mission field. And you know something, all of these things, they're noble, they're good, they're right. but, But listen, here's what I think God really wants from us when we surrender to him. You see, when we surrender to him, I think we'll hear God say, do the best job you can at work. Because I want people to see me reflected in the way you serve your company. You're there to be a blessing. I think God's going to say, be patient with your husband or your wife when they make mistakes or when they let you down. Because listen, they're my gift to you. God wants us to be genuinely happy 
when someone else succeeds. He wants us to be gracious to everyone around us, even if we have nothing to gain from it. I think what God really wants is for us to put aside our own interests for the benefit of someone else. He wants us to forgive those who have ripped us off. He wants us to be kind to the person that we may not understand. He wants us to look for ways that we can meet and reach out and meet others' needs. Is this practical enough? See, this is what it means to be fully surrendered. You see, surrendering everything to Jesus, for some, it may mean stepping into a new level of ministry. But for all of us, it means inviting Jesus to step into our everyday moments to help us live, to help us conduct our lives in such a way that our lives reflect Him. It's, it's recognizing that, that He is the sun. He is the source. We are the moon. We just reflect. Any light that comes from us is not from us. It's from him. And we are reflecting it to the world around us. How many of you know the moon doesn't produce any light of its own? But when the moon reflects the sun in a dark world, let me tell you, it can be magnificent. It can be beautiful. That's what we need to do. Letting everything we do point others to the grace and to the love that we have come to know that they might find the way after us. Don't worry about the big things that God might call you to do. Because listen, if God calls you to some of those things, God is going to put the desire in your heart to do that. The Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If God calls you to carry that burden, it's not going to be a chore for you. It's going to be a joy for you to fulfill what God has called you to do. I'm not saying it's always going to be easier, that it won't be hard work. But what you're going to find is that his burden is light. And you'll find joy in it. There's lots of things that keep us from maybe experiencing God's best that we don't have time for. But I want to end with this, with this question for you. That's really the question we started with. Have you settled in your life for less than God's best? Have you settled in your life for less than God's best? Have you let yourself get into a routine that's manageable, that's safe, forgetting that God is calling you to live at a higher level? (laughs) Have you taken your eyes off Jesus? Because he is the author and he is the finisher of your faith. Have you let yourself become distracted by the things around you in the world? Have you turned your back uh, on God and turned back to some of the habits and the hang-ups and the patterns in your life that God freed you from, that brought you hurt or that brought you pain or that kept you in bondage? Have you defaulted back to what's familiar, even though it's destructive? I want to challenge each one of us today to determine that we will be willing to pay the price to get to where we should be with God. I want to challenge you today. If you are not right with God, today is the day to get right with God. And in a minute, we're going to pray and we're going to close. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But listen, before we do, I have one other thing that I, that, that I really feel like we need to know about the cost of following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, Peter's talking to Jesus and there's kind of a 
a desperation and this moment of incredible intimacy with Christ. And Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What then will there be for us? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You see, in the end, we're going to find that Jesus, he turns this whole thing upside down. And the things that seem to cost us the most in this natural world will really end up costing us nothing. Nothing. And the things that seem to cost us very little in this life, they may cost us everything. Mark Batterson says it this way, in reality, no one has ever truly sacrificed anything for God because the eternal reward always outweighs the temporal discomfort. <laughs> Listen, I believe the day is coming and I, it, it may not be far off that those who have paid the price to follow Jesus will realize that they really just made an investment in eternity. They just paid ahead. But those that weren't willing to give up anything in this life, those that weren't willing to upgrade from good to better to best, those who just settled, they're going to realize that their decision in the end could cost them everything. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Let's bow our heads together. Because I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. And maybe you're in this place today and you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. You've never said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I am not good enough. And today is the day for you to make that choice. Maybe this is the first time you've, you've understood what Jesus did for you, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he has a plan for your life. And you need to make that decision today. Maybe you're at a place where you have settled for just better. And you've been unwilling to say, Lord, I'm going to take the next step to go all the way. I want the best. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And in your heart, you know, I'm ready. I want to do it. I'm ready to take the next step. We're going to have a closing prayer in a moment, a prayer of surrender. And I want you to be included in that prayer. And here's what I want to ask you to do. If you are ready to take that step, if you're ready to surrender to Jesus, or if you're ready to say, Lord, I want to go to, I want to take that next step. Here's what I want you to do without hesitating, without waiting. I want to invite you to just lift your hand and we'll include you in that prayer. Just do it right now. Just go ahead and lift your hand up. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just keep it up just for a moment. Just lift that hand up. Just say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. I want to I wanna take the next step. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right.
right, you can put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed. We're going to pray together. I want to invite everybody in here to pray this out loud. Pray it so those around you can hear it. No one's praying this alone. We are standing in faith, believing for God's best for our lives. Just repeat this after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for calling me to live the best life. Lord, I come to you. I acknowledge where I failed. And I invite you in. Forgive my sin. Help me to trust you. Help me to live my life on purpose for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I love that God is doing things in our hearts. I believe that God has amazing things for us, for you as an individual, for us as a church, for your family. And I believe that when we're willing to pay the price, when we're willing to say, Lord, I surrender everything to you, that we, when we go all in for him, God is going to go all out for us. Amen? Amen. I want to invite our prayer teams. Let's stand together. Our time is short. Prayer teams, could you come and find a place? Join me at the front here. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, let me encourage you to do something. We have a booklet called Now What? And it's, a, it's just a book that says, okay, I've made this commitment to follow Christ. I've made this decision. Well, what do I do now? And, and we want to give that to you just as a way to help you as, you as you journey in this walk with Jesus. Our prayer teams are here as they are every week to, uh, to pray with you if you have a need of any kind. Uh, I want to leave you with this thought as we dismiss. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, firing on all cylinders. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Come on, guys. You ever hear that phrase? Firing on all cylinders? There's something about an engine when it's firing on all cylinders. It's just humming. It's great. I've been thinking about that phrase this week. And I've been asking the question, what does it look like, what does it feel like when a church is firing on all cylinders? And then more specifically, what does it look like when this church is firing on all cylinders. What does it look like? I mean, what does it look like when, when, when everyone finds a place to serve? When everyone is stepping in and instead of being a, a, a consumer of the presence of God, they're being one that helps create the presence and welcomes those in. I mean, what does it look like when we're all connected in life-giving relationships? What about when we're all supporting the work of God or, or when everyone's excited about seeing lives changed, about people set free from addictions? Uh, what does it look like when we're firing on all cylinders? Let me tell you one thought that I had this week. When we are firing all cylinders, this community around us is going to notice. They're going to notice. They're going to be saying, what in the world is going on up on Ravine Street? That place is so full of life and so full of love. What is happening there? Listen, my prayer, my prayer is that each one of us as the church, each one of us would make the choice to not settle for good or to not even settle for better, but to go all the way for God's best. Because when we do, we're going to not believe it what God does with us. It's going to blow your mind. I believe that. I believe that. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are calling us to the best life. God, I thank you that, uh, Lord, you desire to use us. And, Lord, as we dismiss today, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to go all in for you, that we would hold nothing back, that we would surrender everything to you, and that when we do, Lord, you would use us to change this city. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.